To our study, if you have your Bible, Psalms 117. Psalms 117. For all you Bible trivia experts, you may know that that's a special chapter. Um, I'm tempted to be like, can anybody tell me why, right? I have candy, I'll throw it to you. Um, Psalms 117, maybe you already know this. You may be looking at it and you're going, okay, here we go. It's the shortest chapter in the Bible, right? So I thought maybe we're getting too comfortable in our Psalm series. Let's throw a curveball. Let's throw something without with just a few verses. But no, this is a great psalm. I'm excited about our subject tonight. I know these men have prepared some really good thoughts for that. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to all the, all the details and all the meaning we can pull out of God's beautiful word, all that he's left us there. So let's read the psalm together, and we'll open it up with a few thoughts. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. So, gentlemen, my first question is, is there anything to note maybe on the brevity of this or anything interesting about context you have or anything kind of along those lines? I found it interesting in my preparation of this that apparently Psalm 117, it is a hymn. It is, we've looked at various types of psalms. Uh, we've seen laments. We, we've seen uh, prayers, that sort of thing. This is actually a hymn. And in, in my study, I, I discovered that the, uh, it, the uh, Jewish people, they would sing this psalm at Passover. It was one of three or four psalms they would sing before they partook of the Passover meal. I thought that was interesting. But the fact that it's a, a hymn, that it's something to be sung, stood out to me because of how short it is. Uh, oftentimes, I think when it comes to, to praising God or to uh, communicating with God, we feel like length always matters. Uh, when it comes to our prayers, sometimes we have this mindset that our prayers have to be long to be effective and to be good. Uh, sometimes we might think that our, our, our study of the Bible, we need to read long chapters for long periods of time to, be, to, be, uh, to, have the, the, to get the most out of it. And when it comes to praising God, we, we need to do it for a long period of time in order to accomplish it. And, and I think sometimes we get stuck in that mentality uh, that, that length dictates uh, success or di dictates value, that sort of thing. I think this is wonderful because it shows us that the psalmist, whoever it was that wrote this, felt like they could summarize praising God in two verses, in just two verses. It reminds me of, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking about prayer just before he gave us the model prayer, which is so incredibly short. He said, he, he said don't be like the hypocrites who pray. Don't heap up empty phrases. Don't just rattle on for no reason. God is not concerned about the length of your prayer. God's concerned about the substance of your prayer. I think the same principle applies, and that was the Kyle Rye version of, of that passage, for the record. That was my own interpretation. But I think God feels the same way even about praise. It, it's about the substance of the praise, not so much the, the length of it. And for me, this, this psalm is a reminder that I can praise God in short bursts. I don't have to spend hours doing it. I can praise him as I'm driving in my car from home to work or as I'm pumping gas at the gas station. I, I can praise him in even short bursts, and the brevity of this reminds me of that fact. You know, the question you ask is, do we learn something from its brevity? And so I guess I better answer briefly. Hmm. Uh, but to answer briefly, I would say, just echo what you said, definitely what Jesus says about you think you'll be heard for your many words. Uh, that's how we often think about our prayers, how we think about um, worship, and whatever the case might be. But 
I think about another example that, that you could maybe bring to mind is uh, that Pharisee and that uh, sinner. The Pharisee beats, uh, his, uh, beats his chest in, in, in pride and, and all the things that he has done for the Lord and how, how gra- gra- gracious that he is just to talk to God. God's lucky to be talking to him. Um, that's sometimes the, the image we put across when we think about our prayers. But then you have this guy who comes up and says, have mercy on me. He falls to the ground. And that is what is praised. And so I think definitely God is ultimately the one who understands our praise, who understands our hearts when we are praising. And he's looking at our individual hearts and he knows. You know, there's one thing, there's one person we can't fool. And that's God. Uh, we cannot fool God. We cannot pull the blinders over Him and expect to, to you know, pull a prank on Him or to make Him not see what's actually going on. He knows our hearts. He knows our, our minds. He knows what we are going through and, and the passion that we're putting into our worship and if we're putting in everything we can. And He also knows if we're just full of hot air. I think a lot of times we're, we're challenged uh, to come across in a certain way, to make everyone around us believe that we are a certain thing when we are not. And ultimately, following God is a life of admitting that you're nothing. And I think that's important for us to talk about uh, in our lives, especially in this, in this kind of... Uh, discussion is understanding that to be a Christian you are actively agreeing to become less. I think of what John the Baptist said. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. And so I think that's the importance maybe in learning or just looking one thing we could look from the brevity of this uh, psalm is that sometimes we don't have to come up with some amazing prayer or some amazing uh, sermon or whatever the case might be. All we got to do is speak the truth every day of our life. If we'll just speak the truth and do it in love, that's all we're asked to do. It's not up to us to reinvent the wheel. It's not up to us to uh, figure out the most creative way. There's nothing new under the sun. The truth is we need to be speaking the truth, speaking it in love. And I think that's what the psalmist does. He speaks the truth, and that's it. He don't need to say anything else than what he says. This is what it takes to praise the Lord. Um, um, according to Apostle Paul, who quoted this psalm in Romans chapter 15, verse 11, uh, this is in the, con- the quotes is in the context of uh, you know God's plan to extend the gospel to the Gentiles, and if we take that to understand the brevity of the uh, this psalm, uh, probably this psalm was intended to be memorized or to be taken by the Gentiles. You know, uh, some in some Chinese uh, kind of work in the. In some Chinese wisdom about warfare, uh, you know, one part, one party uh, make a kind of short praise of 
some singing or whatever, and uh, release it to the enemy side, enemy's side. And some of the enemies, some of the soldiers of the enemies, you know, sing it and memorize it. And it affects their uh, morale in the world. So it probably, uh, this psalm was intendedly uh, made short because it is a kind of invitation for the Gentiles to sing this, you know, uh, praise the Lord, all nations. And so, so the Gentiles should memorize this very easily. So probably uh, that was one of the reasons that the psalmist made this psalm very short. Yeah, so that's a neat way of maybe thinking about maybe the reason behind its brevity. I kind of came across the same thing Kyle was mentioning in the fact that Psalms 117 fits right into this whole flow of a, what the Jewish community calls the Hallel Psalms 113 through 118. And it's these six psalms that they sing and they, and they, and they kind of pray together. Uh, I did not learn how the tune goes. Sorry, everybody. Um, they sing it or they, they, they say it together before all their big... Uh, um, holidays and feasts and stuff like that. And so what interesting thing about that is, this has been going on since the, before the days of Christ. So in Matthew 26 and verse 30, when Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his apostles, it says that he, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So there's a possibility that the text that we're looking at tonight was being sung by Christ the very night before his arrest and trial. We don't know if that's the case, but we know, it's, we know for a fact that in his day and age, this was already tradition to sing these psalms together in celebration of the Passover. So it's just a neat tie-in to maybe this was on Christ's mind uh, just a few hours before everything unfolded. So let's get into our text, unless there's anything else before. Um, my first question about our text tonight deals with that very first line, praise the people, all nations, or all Gentiles, some of your translations may say. What's the significance of the inclusion of all nations in this command of praise? You know, it's interesting, we understand today as Christians, you know, we have the New Testament, we have passages after passage after passage in the New Testament that call upon the entire world to submit to Christ, to uh, submit to the church, to submit to the body and how it's for all nations, all peoples. Uh, Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor uh, female, bond or free, uh, all are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, we see Second uh, Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see Acts 2, uh, Peter says, the promise is to you, to your children, to all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so we understand it today with our 21st century glasses and understand that following God and 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 being a follower of God is for everyone. But it's interesting that the psalmist who's writing this, that wasn't a time where it was widely for everyone. There was a chosen seed. There was a chosen people. There was the Israelite nation that God chose to bless the earth through Abraham's seed. Not that the Gentiles could not be acceptable to God. We learn from Paul uh, in Romans that they were a law unto themselves. That's a whole other subject for a different story. But what we're talking about is understanding that this psalmist understood that God 
was to be praised regardless of what nation you came from. God is, is, it is a requirement of humanity to praise God the Lord because of who He is. It doesn't matter what nation you are a part of, what background you have, what history you have, what ethnicity you are, what socioeconomic status you are, you must praise the Lord because of who He is. He is the Creator. We are the created. And so we have no choice but to worship, to praise, to obey because of who He is. And I think that's the importance uh, of this psalmist. This psalmist most likely writing to a Jewish audience saying, this isn't just for the Jews. This isn't just for this chosen people that, that we are. This is for the entire world. And I think that truth echoes throughout the rest of the Bible and culminates in the coming of Christ who opens that door for all those Gentiles and all the nations. So it's, it's, one of, it's the most powerful point of the psalm, perhaps, is that it's not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a chosen thing. It's an entire world thing. We all must praise the Lord. Uh, here's a, a very interesting thing um, in verse 1. Praise the Lord. But in English translation, the last verse, last line is the same. Praise the Lord. But in Hebrew, it's different. The first praise the Lord has a definite article there, praise the Lord. But in the <clears throat> last line, doesn't have any definite article there, just hallelujah. It mean, I mean, in Hebrew, hallelujah, the, the very common praise, praise the Lord. Actually, in English, put uh, the... Uh, the, the, the there, definite article, but in Hebrew language, there is no definite article in hallelujah. But in the first verse, there is the definite article. I think that is very uh, interesting thing. Um, you know, it is one of the uh, most difficult things to get to the kind of sense uh, about uh, and uh, to to understand when should I use when I should use when I shouldn't use a definite article in English, you know it's very hard thing. But one one principle I learned is that when we introduce something that the listeners don't know or are not familiar with, we need to use the definite article sometimes, and then the listeners, as the listeners or the, uh, you know, readers understand, understood what the author, what the speaker is talking about, we don't need the, uh, maybe sometimes we don't need the definite article. It is, we can talk about general, uh, talk generally. So the first, uh, praise the Lord, uh, is, uh, I think, introducing God to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles don't know about our God, about the Jewish uh, Hebrew God in, in this time. So praise the Lord, not praise the God, not 
general gods that you are worshiping now, but praise the God that we are worshiping, our God, the only God, only true living God. So I think uh, this psalmist is introducing and invoking a kind of praise from the, uh, uh, from the uh, Gentiles uh, about God, the praise about our God, the only true living genuine God. Yes, it's definitely a monotheistic um, declaration happening here, saying that the God of Israel is actually the God of everyone. And, and it's a beautiful thing here, because it's even, if you notice, uh, most of your translations will put the word Lord in small caps, which is usually an indicator that it's the proper name of God that was given at Sinai being employed, invoked there. So that is a beautiful aspect. I also see in this the the prophetic aspect of this statement, as Mingu alluded to earlier, this verse is actually quoted in Romans chapter 15 and verse 11 in the context of Paul saying, hey, God's plan was always to include everyone, uh, which is what what Ben is is talking about as well. And then also think about Revelation. Over in the book of Revelation in the seventh chapter in, in John's vision of heaven, he speaks about a great multitude, and it's Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it's a, that's a reminder to us that heaven isn't reserved for one select group. Heaven isn't designed for just one, one ethnicity, one people, one family. Heaven is for everyone, and, and heaven is going to be multi-ethnic. Heaven is going to include people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language. And, and so what is being declared in Psalm 117 verse 1 is prophetic, both for the fact that the, 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 the church is going to become a, the universal people of God that includes everyone, and the ultimate consummation of the kingdom which is heaven, is a place for everyone. So it's a very prophetic text as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So moving along in our text, and Mingi, you've, you've already kind of alluded to this as well. So there's that double proclamation of praise here in verse 1. Praise the Lord all nations, and second, laud him all peoples. So my, my next really question for our discussion tonight is, is there a difference, or is there a reason that there's a different Hebrew word here used? Okay, praise the Lord. And then another word is used, okay, uh, laud, or some of your translations may say, extol him. So any, any thoughts on that, why, why there's a double proclamation of praise here? Um, <clears throat> this is a kind of, uh, I mean, I think this is a kind of a habit, Hebrew people, uh, linguistic habit. They do this a lot of times, you know, uh, as we uh, read the Psalms, there are many, many cases where the psalmist uses two praises very similar to that, you know, like this, just like this, praise the Lord and extol him uh, in English Standard Version, extol. Uh, so it is, I mean, uh, scholars call this Hebrew, Hebrew parallelism, parallelism. And this is uh, a very common linguistic phenomenon uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. But but there is not very big difference 
between these two phrases. You know, when we see the phrase, praise the Lord, all you, all you nations, laud him, all you peoples, uh, obviously praise and laud are perhaps synonyms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, uh, but I, I'm assuming there's very similar meanings in those words. But what I do see through that is a lot of times <laughs> when you're communicating uh, a message, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing for the message to pound home, right? It's another thing for you to actually listen to it sometimes. And a lot of times uh, people get upset at preachers being repetitive. Well, we wouldn't be repetitive if it was understood the first time we said it sometimes, right? And that's kind of what we see the psalmist doing, I believe. Praise the Lord. How many times do we see that in the psalms, right? How many times do we see the psalmist say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord? And that's a message that they understand. He's like, praise the Lord. No, no, no. Laud him. It's this emphatic way of saying the same thing yet again. I think he's trying to pound that message home. No, 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 you, you probably just glossed over what I just said. No, 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 laud the Lord, all ye people. It's the way the psalmists and other writers throughout Scripture and even communicators of God's words today try to make the message something that is memorable and not just something that's like, I've heard that a thousand times. It's something that I think the psalmist today in Psalm 117 is employing in, his, in this psalm. Absolutely. You're going to see this Hebrew repetition where it says, okay, th- you know, there's this comment, praise him, and, and to add emphasis, you know, to put it in bold, I'm just going to repeat that using a synonym. You see that in Genesis 9:25, a slave of slaves, and Isaiah 34, verse 10, evermore of evermore, just meaning forever. But to add, for the Hebrew audience reading that original text, you're going to see that overly emphasis, okay, that synonym means really pay attention to this. So it's the most emphatic, emphatic way of saying this psalm, first and foremost, the very first thought is, praise the Lord, everyone. So it's an interesting way that they did that. I think it, we can kind of take a little bit away from that too. So moving to our second verse uh, and our last verse of the evening. Uh, for his loving kindness is great toward us, What is go- so let's just start with a question about that, wor- that, that word that we probably have translated in a lot of different ways in our Bibles, his loving kindness. What is, God- what is God's loving kindness, and how do we necessarily, how do we experience it today? Loving kindness is an, an, another way, I think maybe some translations, my, my translation, verse 2 says, his merciful kindness. And so there's this idea that it's not only loving, but it's mercy, mercy getting something you don't deserve. So merciful kindness, loving kindness, is this idea that God extends this love, this mercy, this kindness that we don't deserve. And so how, does, how is our life, uh, how do we see God's loving kindness? I believe we see God's loving kindness. Again, everyone sees it, regardless of if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. The very fact that we are still have breath in our lungs, the very fact that we still have life within us, is an example of God's loving kindness. Because if it were up to what we deserved, Noah would have drowned. You see what I'm saying? 
So when we ask, how does God's loving kindness shape our life? It shapes every single moment of our life. Every single moment, every breath that we take, every day that we wake up is an example of God's loving kindness. I had a professor at Freed Hardman, he's now passed away. His name was Stan Mitchell. And Stan Mitchell, every single time you ever talk to him, you give the classic, hey, how you doing? Like we always do every day to everybody we see, how you doing? Everybody's response is, good, how about you? Well, every time you ask Brother Mitchell, Brother Mitchell, how you doing? He would respond, better than I deserve. And that was the, the classic response that everybody knew it was coming, but you asked him anyway because you wanted to hear it. That's an example of God's loving kindness. Every one of us are doing better than we deserve because of the loving kindness of God. This mercy that is extended to each of us, this love that's extended to every single one of us, it shapes every day of our life. Absolutely. So you can see that mercy aspect of loving kindness, but I think that another aspect you can see out of this word is the loyalty in God. Because a lot of yeah. times this, translations will say the steadfast love of the Lord, or right. steadfastness of the Lord, and that has said the word there being used. And so it's interesting, you have the mercy, but they also another thing you can see that is just how loyal God's love to us. That no matter what, what happens there, God's loyalty lies in his love. It's the same type of word used when Boaz is talking to Ruth and Naomi. He says, the loving kindness you have shown me, that loyalty you have shown to your family. And so not only is that mercy present, but it's loyal. Think about Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, this idea that nothing besides ourselves, nothing can take away God's love from us. The loyalty that we have from God is unmatched anywhere else. You took my loyalty. Ah. I, I was thinking the same thing as you, so. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I echo the, 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 that loyalty aspect of it. So how, some of your translations may say this too, it, it, this loving kindness, mine says, is great towards us. Some of yours might say prevails over us. What's the significance, or what does that even mean, of his loving kindness, his love, mercy, loyalty, whatever it may be, that it prevails over us? What kind of imagery does that give you, or what does that kind of mean for us today? Uh, before we go that go into that, uh, let me talk just about the steadfast love of God. Uh, in in Hebrew, it is Hesed. Hesed. Uh, if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 30, 34, verse six, when God Himself describes Him to Moses, the first word comes. The, the first word that comes is Hesed. The God is the Lord is merciful, and the Hesed, the God is merciful, is almost the major theme of the Bible, and we will talk about that later. I think I believe, uh, as it as it applies to us too, but the you know the love that God has for us, for His not only for His people but all people, is very special. It doesn't require any condition. It doesn't require any, anything. He loves. He, I mean, actually, his love is open to everybody. Any, any, you know, sinner, God loves. God has love for them. But the only problem is that uh, if the person accepts that God, uh, God's love or not, but God, God's love is open to everybody. 
That is the very, 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 very special aspect of God's love. That steadfast uh, love doesn't change. His love is open forever to everybody. If anyone takes that love into himself or herself, then he can be saved. So the steadfast love uh, uh, should be understood in terms of God's steadfast love. Uh, very special. And we need to understand that. And it is very interesting that, you know, when this psalmist invites the Gentiles who don't know God to praising to God, praising, praising to God, he uses steadfast love as the first reason. I mean, God loved us steadfastly. So, see, Gentiles, you can be loved like us, like we are loved by God. So come, join us, things like that. So steadfast love of God is the biggest and most important reason that we love God, that we worship God. And that love, that kind of love is unconditional. Um, There have been some um, controversies about what this steadfast love means. Uh, But at first, uh, scholars think, I mean, not only scholars, but uh, Christians uh, thought that this means just mutual love, because, uh, like human love. But later, we found the love from Jesus that it is not mutual love. It is uh, love unconditional and open to everybody, open, to, open even to sinners, even to enemies of God. So this love is very important and very precious. And I mean, uh, this psalmist really, really wants to uh, point out that steadfast love is the reason why you Gentiles have to think about that God to praise. So what does it go ahead? Yeah. Well, I was just saying. So what does it mean that that yeah. type of love prevails over us? Yeah. When we think of this prevailing over us, to me, this loving kindness, this this mercy, this whatever you want to call it, steadfast love, it prevails over us by saying. By to, to me, that's saying it 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 defeats us. And what I mean by that is, even when we do every single thing possible to break the limit of God's loving kindness, we can't break it. Even when we do and say and think and and act however sinful we can act, God is still going to love us. That's what it means to... it, it, It prevails against us. Even when we do everything in our power to distance ourselves from God, we can never be so distanced that He doesn't love us anymore. That's what it means. We cannot prevail against the loving kindness of God. No matter how bad we are, no matter how sinful we are, no matter how estranged from God we are, we can't be so estranged or so bad or so evil that He doesn't love us anymore. Now, we might lose out on a chance of heaven and being with Him, but that don't mean He stops loving us. And I think we got to learn from that. 
we got since we are followers of God, we have to also attempt every day of our life to possess this loving kindness of God. This loving kindness that will not be prevailed against when it comes to our friend or our family member or our neighbor or our classmate or our coworker that has done and said and thought and did terrible things to us. We need to be a type of person. We need to be like our God in that there's nothing that they can do that will keep me from loving them. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I still need to love them, and I need to care about their soul. I think that's what it means. We cannot prevail against the loving kindness of God. It cannot be defeated. Have you ever been overwhelmed by something that's good? I think all of us have been overwhelmed by something negative, right? We've all been overwhelmed by issues in our life or whatever, complications, whatever it may be. But have you ever been overwhelmed by something that's really good, a good emotion? Maybe it's some part of God's creation. Maybe you've stood at the base of a waterfall or the, the trailhead of a mountain. Last week we went on a retreat that was near the beach, and so we got to stand at the seashore of the, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. And sometimes that can be overwhelming in awe of our Creator. Or maybe you've been overwhelmed by something kind someone has done for you, where you're having a fine day, you're emotionally stable, and someone does something just so extremely over-the-top kind for you that you're overwhelmed with emotions. Or maybe it's a movie or a book or some type of play or whatever you're watching where, again, you're fine, but by the end of that narrative, by the end of that kind of emotional draw, you find yourself overcome with emotions. And the students make fun of me. I've I've confessed that I'm pretty wimpy when it comes to movies. A lot of things can make me kind of teary out at times. And I can be fine. I can start that movie just fine, but by the end of it, because of whatever's going on, I can find myself, I, I, can't, I can't hold it back. Jay, just breathe, right? You know, like, don't, don't show these teenagers that you're crying at this Disney movie, right? <laughs> but I think that's an idea of another side of being, being prevailed over by something. Mm. That God's loving kindness overwhelms me like a rising tide. That at times when I experience it, times when I feel it, and times when I need it, it almost comes out of nowhere and it fills me, it fills me over the brim, Right? where my emotions, my whatever it may be, how it affects then, is overwhelmed by the fact that God is still able to love me, the depth of his love, the breadth of his love, everything that Ben was talking about there. And it's an overwhelming feeling in a good way. Or before you know it, maybe you, you find yourself praying to him before you even thought about praying. You find yourself talking about him before you even thought about it. You found yourself crying before you even thought about it because you were overwhelmed or prevailed against, almost like a rising tide, prevailed against by this, this undescribable, this term that we've been struggling to, defer, to define, but this love of God. It's an amazing experience that Christians get to, to feel, hopefully almost on a day-to-day basis when we're living in His will there. Going on to the, the, one of the last sentences of our text, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. What do we gain from that? If that's a fact, the truth of the Lord is everlasting, what's the benefit from that? You know, we, we've talked so much about his steadfast love, his, his mercy, his loving kindness, this beautiful terminology. But it's just as beautiful that the text is telling us this attribute, this characteristic, this nature of God never changes. Because we live in a world where everything changes. We, we live in a world that has seasons. Right now, uh, just due to the abnormal warm weather we've had, you can see uh, trees blooming. You can see 
I'm seeing pink out there where I shouldn't see BC in pink yet. It's still February, you know. And so we can see the weather, the weather changes, the, the, the world around us changes. We watch as we age, and some of us age harder than others. But we, we watch as life makes changes. I, I'm uh, sitting here, I've got a nine-year-old, and I can't believe how, how much she's grown in the few years she's been a part of my life. You know, we watch things change constantly. And Scripture asserts that we serve a God who not only overwhelmingly loves us, but that will never change. God himself declares in the book of Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. And when he says that, he's not talking about changing his mind, that he never changes his mind, that he never reverses a decision. No, he's saying the core attributes of who I am will never stop being part of me. I will never stop being good. I will never stop being merciful. I will never stop being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. I will never stop being holy. I will never stop being these qualities that make me who I am. And it also means that he will never break his promises. Scripture repeatedly says that the Lord does not lie. The unchanging nature of God applies to the promises he makes. And so when he promises such things as to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us, or when he promises to forgive the sins of those who confess their sins, when he promises such things, those promises are guaranteed because he never changes. That is the, 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 the second part of the beauty of this declaration about God, that, he, that his loving kindness is great toward us, but also... It is everlasting. It will never end. Uh, ESV says, uh, instead of trustfulness or truth of the Lord, ESV says faithfulness. And I checked the Hebrew, Hebrew text, and faithfulness is more, to, more similar to the Hebrew word. But it's okay. I think the you know, translation is okay. But uh, why the faithfulness is taken as trustfulness. I think the faithfulness, as Kyle uh, pointed out very correct, I mean, very rightly, I think the faithfulness is the basis or foundation of trustfulness. Without faithfulness, there is no trustfulness. Or trust, uh, there, if there is no trust, trustfulness, there is no faithfulness. So God is faithful and trustful all the time. And in what? I think that is important. In steadfast love, again, God is always trustful to his love, to his words, to his promises. And you know, we were saved by the same love that the psalmist talk about, talking about. Uh, let me read uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and following. For we, were, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, let, uh, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, chapter, uh, verse 4, but when the uh, goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. So here, goodness and loving kindness of God is the word 
steadfastness, the steadfast love of God. It's the same word. I mean, some translations use steadfast love of God. Uh, I mean, the Greek word is the, is the word. So, God is still the same. God is giving us, giving us today the steadfast love. And His steadfast love is open to anybody, even today, because He is faithful. He is truthful all the time. He doesn't change in His love. So to wrap everything up tonight, I, I, th- I, th- I kind of saw it fit that the very last comment and command in, in Psalms 117, again, just repeats is, Praise the Lord. So guys, keeping it brief like the psalm, what is something tonight, your last thought, but add, what is something you can praise God for tonight? Something that you're willing to share, um, that you're willing to, to pray, you want to praise God for tonight? Not a lot to praise God for. I think we all do. Um, couldn't mention my wife, my son, or whoever in my life going on. I got a lot of great things to go and talk about, but today I was reminded, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to be so simplistic to say this is what I want to praise God for, but I was reminded of how we should praise the Lord for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, because today I watched someone who I would have never come across, would have never um, known. I don't have anything in common with this person, except now I got Jesus Christ in common with her because we were able to baptize her into Christ today. And that same gospel, that same good news that saved me from my sins 17 years ago saved her from hers this afternoon. So I just want to praise the Lord for the gospel and the good news that saves us all and redeems us all equally. No matter what we come from, no matter what nation we're a part of, what color we are, what gender we are, Whatever the case might be, the gospel is for all, and that's what this psalm talks about, and that's what I want to praise him for. For me, I, I want to praise God for his willingness to listen to me. Uh, I've, prayer has, not that it's not a big part of my life at any given time, but here lately, as I talked about this morning, with all the frustrations I've experienced in, in the course of the, these past two months, prayer has been uh, uh, my life support. And it's so humbling to think that an immortal, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent being wants to hear from poor pitiful me. Not just that he wants to hear, but that he's willing to hear. And, and that just, I, I praise God because if you, if you read about uh, the little g gods of history, they don't care about their subjects. They're quote-unquote gods, and they're so superior, they don't need anybody. But our God, the God, the one and only God, loves us so much And that my prayers as a mortal being can impact the actions of the immortal God 
are amazing. And, and I want to praise him for his willingness to listen. I was converted when I was uh, 39. I didn't believe in God. Even as I was uh, going to a church, denominational church, I didn't understand the gospel, but I was just going there for two years before I came to the United States and met the uh, church here Martin, at Martin, Tennessee. You know, I was a terrible sinner. There were some sins which I don't even want to remember. I committed sins that you might be very surprised, uh, surprised, uh, surprised if you hear it. And there were some sins that I couldn't, I mean, I would never, uh, I would uh, never tell my wife, my children, because I am so ashamed that I committed a sin. But as I heard the gospel, you know, the steadfast love of God, his forgiveness, his unconditional salvation, if I obey his gospel, that was a hope. That was a great, great, great news. That was a, you know, anything that can be compared with in this world. And I took it, and I, am, I get the benefit of it, I'm sure. And furthermore, now I am teaching the Bible. I am spreading the gospel. I am an ambassador of the gospel, not only in the church, but also to the community who are, which is full of the non-believers. It's a great history of my, of my life. I mean, it's a great story of my life. And, you know, as I always, and not always, but sometimes as I recall how I was, how terrible I was, how terrible my life was, you know, I have to kneel down, not literally, but kneel down to, before God and praise Him. Even tonight, you know, I was, an, I was a Gentile, literal Gentile. Uh, I'm, I mean, I was a sinner. But now I am here in the church. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's no other better reason that I have to praise Him than this, that I am in the church now. Amen. I think just to, to close it out, and, I, and I'll close this out with prayer in a second. Um, I'm, I want to praise God tonight for the people that he's put in my life. He, I'm just blessed with a lot of good people around me. And one of those things, I don't know if I deserve that, but he, he did that. So, very grateful for that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're humbled, we're humbled Lord, as we approach your throne in prayer. We marvel at your word in, in Psalms chapter 117 and all of the wisdom that you've left for us, Lord, in this short passage. Help us to praise you better in everything we do. Help us to have a mindset of praise. Lord, let us be overwhelmed and at times defeated by the love that you rain down upon us. 
Lord, help us to see your mercy and your loyalty on our lives and to respond to that. Help us to be mindful of all the things that we have that we should be praising you for and help us to always have that on our minds as we go throughout tonight and tomorrow and the rest of the time that you see fit to give us, Lord. We want to praise you now and we want to help the whole world together praise you as we live our lives. And pray this in your son's name. Amen.